You may go ahead and be seated. Today we're continuing on in our sermon series in the book of Revelation. We're almost near the end of our study. Uh, we started way back in April, uh, walking through uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, the book of Revelation. Today we come to Revelation chapter 20. So if you would go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat in front of you that you can utilize during our time together. And if you need a Bible or know somebody that needs a Bible, Christmas is coming up. That may be a great gift. We have Bibles out in the foyer uh, by the check-in desk that you can utilize. You can take one for yourself or take one to give to somebody else. We want to make sure that everybody has a copy of God's Word. And so let that be our gift to you today if you need a Bible or our gift to that individual that you know uh, needs a Bible. Revelation chapter 20 in a message that I've entitled The Millennial Kingdom, very original uh, title for this chapter, as we will look at the thousand-year reign of Christ Jesus. Now, as we get ready to open uh, God's Word together and to read this text and to unpack this text, I am reminded of a quote uh, by one of my heroes of the faith, Corey Ten Boom. Uh, Corey Ten Boom says this, when, I, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. For us that live in this broken and this fallen world, I guarantee you that each of us, even maybe in this very moment, have experienced the darkness of this world to where it doesn't seem like it's going to get any brighter. You, you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel And what the temptation of the devil is, is for you to throw your ticket away and to jump off this train of faith that you have been riding on because of the darkness that has encroached upon you. And the wisdom of Corrie ten Boom, as she says, in the physical reality of riding a literal train, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and you trust the engineer. I pray that we're all reminded of who the engineer is of this train, for he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. It is Christ, and it is Christ Jesus, and he can be trusted, and so we can sit still, and we can know that he is God. But the beauty of God's word, and the beauty even in the book of Revelation, is that even though we see the darkness that is going to be experienced during the times of the Great Tribulation, even though we experience a fraction of the darkness that they will experience in that time, but yet the pain is still just as real, the sorrow is just as real, the suffering is just as real, the tribulation in our lives is just as real, the trials are just as real. We see even throughout the book of Revelation, the grace of God and various points of light that show us And in the darkness of this world, there is a day that is going to come and a time that is going to dawn 
to where the darkness and the brokenness of this world will give way to the realities of the joy that is to come. Today, in our text, we are going to see the light at the end of the tunnel. We're going to look and see what, it, what is going to, to happen as we continue down this track of faith. Where will our lives end? And the answer to that question really depends on what you do with Jesus. Have you surrendered your life and placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Or have you placed your faith in yourself or some religion? Have you placed your eternal hope on your church attendance? Have you placed your eternal hope upon your own self-righteousness or good works? Or have you fully surrendered and submitted to the sacrificial atoning work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? But there is good news. The gospel speaks of the good news. In fact, J.R. Tolkien, he says this, the birth, death, resurrection, and return of Jesus means that one day everything sad will come untrue. Because of the birth, the death, the resurrection, and the return of Jesus, it means that one day everything sad will come untrue. The sadness we feel of lost loved ones who have gone on before us, if they have placed their faith in Christ Jesus, then that separation will one day become untrue. Those precious babies that you never got to hold into your, your, your arms because of a miscarriage, the sadness and the grief of that one day, that will come untrue. All of those pains and hurts, Sorrows and struggles, all of the scars that you wear upon your heart and sometimes even upon your flesh, one day will come untrue because of the incarnation, of the sinless life, of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and his ascension, and make no mistake about it, his return. He returns we read about the light at the end of the tunnel this morning. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized a dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their heads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. 
And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in these books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then Hades... Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, as we open your word, I pray it would open our eyes, our minds, and our hearts. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, as we look at this passage of scripture, I pray that, God, we would see the light at the end of the tunnel. Lord, in all of the day in and day out, Heavenly Father, Sometimes the monotony of life, Uh, Heavenly Father, the various pains and trials and struggles and tribulations that we do face, sometimes the betrayals, Heavenly Father, Lord, sometimes the heartache of a wayward child, sometimes, Heavenly Father, the the loss of a loved one, Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, the, the, the health crises we run into, the financial crises we run into, Lord, the world, it can get awful dark. Lord, I thank you for this passage of Scripture and the light that it gives us, for this is our hope, for our hope is alive, and one day we will reign with him here on this earth. I praise you for this truth. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing that I want to point out to your attention is that when we look at the millennial kingdom or the millennium, uh, all that means is a, a, a thousand years We see that all throughout this passage of Scripture. We see that at the end of verse 2. We see that at the end of verse 3. We see that at the end of verse 4. We see that at the beginning and the end of verse 5 and uh, the beginning of verse 5, the end of verse 6, and the beginning of verse 7. Six times we see the thousand years mentioned here in this passage of Scripture. And it's looking forward to a day where Christ has returned, has defeated and vanquished his foes at the Battle of Armageddon, and where we have a pause in between chapter 19 and chapter 20. Uh, there, There really was no, in John's revelation, there was no chapter or verse. And so we read the events of 19 and 20 together. They follow sequentially right after uh, one another. After Jesus has vanquished his his foes, we see that he is going to bind Satan for a thousand years. And all those that have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Old Testament saints, the New Testament saints, and those that were saved during the Great Tribulation will reign with Christ for a thousand years. Now, there are many individuals that have different views in regards to the millennial kingdom. There are three primary views. We'll break them up here in just a moment to see what individuals look at in response to what the kingdom of God is. But you have amillennialism, you have postmillennialism, and you have premillennialism, or the correct version is what I would say. Amillennialism basically means that you're in the thousand years right now. That, that you are in the thousand years, and it, it really equates to God ruling 
over uh, believers' hearts, that that is the kingdom, that you're in the kingdom right now. Uh, My problem with that is I read in Scripture that Satan is bound up during the thousand-year reign, and I look around the world around me, and it looks like he's pretty active, amen? It looks like he is not bound. It looks like he is pretty active. Now, you have some that hold to a post-millennial view, and basically what that means is that through the proclamation of God's word and through the church that we will set up basically somewhat of a theocracy and a utopia that we will have a thousand years of peace, and once we uh, achieve a thousand years of peace, then Jesus Christ will return. Uh, Listen, I don't think that thousand years is ever going to happen. When I was in high school... uh, they, they asked me to go to a separate facility in high school. It was called the Opportunity Center. Uh, some of you might know it as the Alternative Center. <laughs> this was not for the gifted and talented, okay? To get out of the Opportunity Center, you had to have 30, uh, I think it was 30 days, if I remember correctly. It may have been 45. I think it started off 45, and they said, listen, we're setting these kids up for failure. They can't do it. So 30. You had to have 30 good days in a row, and they'd let you out of the Opportunity Center. I, I finally dropped out of the Opportunity Center because I couldn't take advantage of the opportunities that they were giving me. What makes us think that we can put a thousand years together? That's putting a lot more faith into us than I think we deserve. Now, premillennialism is what I believe this text teaches us. Jesus Christ comes and he ushers in the thousand-year reign. We don't usher in the thousand-year reign. Jesus Christ ushers in the thousand-year reign. So let's look at what God's Word speaks of in this text about what is going to happen to the saints of Christ, what is going to happen to Satan, and what is going to happen to the sinners who reject Jesus Christ. So first, in verses 1 through 6, let's look at the future of the saints. What is the future of the saints? What is are our future, where our future is the kingdom of God. Now, we need to answer the question, what is the kingdom of God? Those that hold to the various millennial views have different ideas of what the kingdom of God is. There are really five main views of what the kingdom of God is, and some of them will fall into the various millennial views of the thousand years. First, the kingdom of God to some is heaven. It's the eternal state. It's what happens to a believer after death, so there is no relationship to the earth whatsoever. It is only eternal, and it is only in the heavenly realm. It has nothing to do with this earth. Two, there are some that hold to the kingdom of God being God's rule over the hearts of men, so it is related to the present age, but not related to the earth. So it's not that we're going to see peace and and righteousness here on this earth, but we may experience it in our own hearts as followers of Jesus Christ. Third, there are those who say the kingdom of God is purely earthly without spiritual realities attached to it. So it is a political and a social structure to be achieved by the efforts of men so that the focus becomes on the social and economic evolution of mankind. 
In other words, it's not so much about God reigning in the hearts of individuals. It's about those individuals who God is reigning in their hearts, setting up political and economic systems that makes everything just and fair here on this earth. How are we doing with that? Not very good. And I don't care what party you affiliate yourself with. Neither one of them are going to usher into the kingdom. None of them are designed to usher in the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ will come and he will usher in the kingdom of God. He and he alone. Then there are some who look at the kingdom of God as the visible organized church. So that the church becomes the kingdom, making the kingdom both spiritual and political. But I believe that what the Bible teaches as to really what the kingdom of God is, is this. It is both spiritual and material, involving both the reign of Christ in men's hearts and the physical reign on earth where he rules in the affairs of men. So there's a reality that we experience of the kingdom already not yet. He is reigning in the hearts and the lives of all of those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We should desire, we should pray as Jesus taught us, not my will, but your will be done. Hallowed be your name, right? Uh, Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. May we pray in Kawita as it is in heaven. May we pray that it is in our homes as it is in heaven. May we pray that it is in Wagner County as it is in heaven. May we pray that it is in Oklahoma as it is in heaven, that his kingdom would come into our community by the way we live our lives, that it is a reflection of what it is to come that we just read in Revelation 20. May it be in Kawita as it is in heaven. May it be in your marriage as it is in heaven. May it be in your homes as it is in heaven. And so there is a already function of the kingdom right now as Christ reigns and rules in the hearts of man. But make no mistake about it, the earth itself groans for the day that Christ will return and restore all things. There is a literal earthly rule and reign of Jesus Christ for a thousand years that is set up after his return and the vanquishing of his foes. We see this in our text, this reality that It is not a figurative, it is not to be spiritualized or allegorized. It is a literal reign of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ here on this earth. And so let me give you a working functional definition of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the king's power over the king's people in the king's place resulting in the king's peace. It is the king's power over the king's people in the king's place, resulting in the king's peace. That ultimately is the kingdom of God, and none of that will all be true until Jesus Christ has returned and set up his millennial kingdom here on this earth. When Christ comes, he ushers in eternity, but there are phases of that eternity. In fact, the moment you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your eternity begins. You can't lose that. Nobody can take that away from you. But the question is here on this earth, what will you do with it? How will you steward it? 
How will you steward the precious gift of the Holy Spirit that indwells the life of each and every believer? How will you steward the gift of the fact that you are a new creation and there is now for no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus? What will you do with that? Go back and live your life however it is that you want to live your life? Use the the very word of God as nothing more than than an accessory to your faith that you carry underneath an arm as you walk into a church building that sometimes you visit, but more times than not, you don't? Or do you take what it is that has been entrusted to you and do you lay everything down and say, my whole life now, my whole life is completely surrendered to you. You held nothing back from me. I hold nothing back from you. I lay my life down completely for you. I am all in. That ultimately is the question. But the moment we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, our eternity begins. But if it's the king's power over the king's people and the king's place resulting in the king's peace... Then for us to understand the kingdom of God, we look at various texts found in Scripture that point to this millennial kingdom. One that I would encourage you to go back and read yourself on your own time is Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11 is completely about the millennial kingdom. Let me read to you a few verses from Isaiah 11 to look at what I mean when I say the king's power. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Now, when we talk about the king's power, we're not talking about just the omnipotence of God Almighty. We're not just talking about the the power that he has to do all things, the power that he has to speak things into existence. We're talking about his authority and his sovereignty. We're talking of the fact that, that he reigns, that he is the head over the church. We're talking about the fact that, that his power is such that he rules with righteousness and he has a judgment that is not swayed in any kind of way by anything for he and he alone is holy and completely holy and that he decides with equity for the meek of the earth. And we see this power that he is to strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. We see this this power, this king's power, but in the kingdom of God, we see that this king's power is over the king's people. Now, who are the king's people? It's all those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. In our text, we... We read of this reality starting in verse 4. It says, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Who is that? that? That is the believers. That is you, and that is me. That is those that have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. These are the, the tribulation saints. There are individuals who will die a martyr's death. During the great tribulation, there are those who will die a natural death during the great tribulation. They join in in the millennial kingdom. 
The Old Testament saints, although not specifically mentioned here in this text, will be resurrected upon the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ along with the great tribulation saints. They will be resurrected and given their resurrected bodies and they will reign with Christ for a thousand years along with all of us who will receive our resurrected bodies at the time of the rapture. And he says, these are the individuals who did not worship the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And we will reign as those that are blessed and holy. We will be priests of God and of Christ. That is ultimately the future of those that have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their lives. So no matter what it is you may be going through in this moment right now, know that the night gives way to the dawn. The night gives way to the day. And there may be weeping at night, but there is joy that is coming in the morning. And there is a great getting up morning one morning where our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ ushers in his thousand-year reign. So the king's power or his sovereignty, his authority rules over the king's people. Look at Philippians 3, 20 through 21. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven. That's a good reminder for all of us today. Our citizenship is in heaven. First and foremost, we are citizens of God's kingdom. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. And from it, we await a savior. So we see the already now, not yet aspect of the kingdom of God. We are already citizens, but yet we are awaiting the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, where he will bring that to ultimate consummation and fulfillment. Verse 21 of Philippians 3 says, He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Do you see that? You see the, the, the correlation between the power of God Almighty and the life of his people. And this power is to bring individuals underneath subjection to himself. That everybody has uh, 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 subjected themselves to the authority and to the reign and to the rule of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That only takes place after the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Psalm 2, 6 through 9 speaks of the reality that this will take place in the king's place. We know that right now that there are powers and principalities that, that rule over this world at this time. That Christ, even though he is sovereign and king of kings and lord of lords, right now in the plan of God, the devil has room to work in and amongst this creation here on this earth. But there is coming a day where that will be removed and Christ will be here and we will be with Christ just as it were back in the Garden of Eden where he will walk with us and we will dwell with him. Psalm 2, 6 through 9 says this, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Notice in verse 8 what it is that he says. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage. This is God the Father talking to God the Son. And I will make the nations your, your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. It is a earthly reign. There is not one square inch of this earth that will be outside of the reign of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is what we read of in Revelation chapter 20. 
we read of this thousand-year reign where our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is physically on this earth. We are reigning alongside of him and that we are a part of this thousand years of peace. And ultimately, that's exactly what it is that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ brings to us. In Psalm 11, verses 6 through 10, we read of what the millennial kingdom is going to look like. We read of what it is that we will experience as we reign with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It says, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fat calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, again, this can't be as the amillenarians proclaim, because this chapter speaks of the millennial kingdom. In, in Isaiah 11, 6 through 10, it speaks of this millennial kingdom, and it shows this reality that the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That, that's not taking place right now. Uh, as we see that the reality is not everybody has the full knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, but one day it will be just as Isaiah 11 6 through 10 signifies and says, In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. This is the light at the end of the tunnel. This is where the weapons of war have been beat into plowshares. This is where we have ultimate and complete peace for a thousand years. But as we read in our text, we see that in verse 2, Satan, the ancient serpent, was bound for a thousand years and thrown into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. And then we see down in verse 7, we see what ultimately is going to be the future of Satan. Uh, we see what the future of Satan is. If you're taking notes, we, we see in verses 7 through 10 the, the future of Satan. It says, and when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, what in the world is going on there? That's something that I always wrestled with. Maybe you have too. I get to this passage of Scripture, and I say, now Christ has returned. He threw Satan into the bottomless pit for a thousand years, but then he gets free again. And he leads one last rebellion to come against Christ, and Christ defeats this rebellion. How in the world is that even possible? 
Because isn't everybody that goes into the millennial kingdom, aren't they all saved? Everybody is saved. Who gets to enter into the millennial kingdom? Only those that have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. God has vanquished all of his foes at the return of Jesus Christ. Who are these individuals? Who are these people? Who are these people that are going to rebel against God? Because remember, when Christ returns, there are still going to be some individuals that are alive. And that passage of Scripture that we read in Matthew about the separating of the goats and the lambs, oftentimes we try to take that to mean us. Listen, when, when you die, there, there's not going to be a separation. of you're not, you're not waiting with everybody else to find out where you go. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The text that talks about the goats being separated from the lambs is what happens at the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's those that are still alive. It's those individuals who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and those that have rejected him. And those that have rejected Jesus Christ are the goats and they will go into Hades or what I call present hell. And then you have those that have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ that have lived through the, the, the great tribulation. They will go into the millennial kingdom with the resurrected New Testament saints, the resurrected Old Testament saints, and the resurrected believers that died during the great tribulation. So these individuals that go into the millennial kingdom that did not die during the great tribulation but had placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they don't receive glorified bodies yet. And so they are in the millennial kingdom, and they are repopulating the earth during the thousand-year reign. There's a lot of people that can be born for a thousand years. Our lives during the millennial kingdom, or excuse me, those individuals who enter into the millennial kingdom that uh, place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ during the great tribulation, uh, their, their, their life, they'll be like in the Old Testament that we see before the great flood where individuals live uh, some 300, some 400 years. We'll be in our glorified bodies, and we'll be co-reigning with Christ. They'll be repopulating the earth. And after a thousand years, Satan is going to be free and he's going to come and he's going to tempt the children of those who had placed their faith in Christ Jesus before the millennial kingdom in the great tribulation. He is going to tempt them and they are going to rebel against God. He's going to try to get them to believe just as he did in the days of Adam and Eve in the garden that they would make better gods than Christ. And those individuals will fall victim to the deception of Satan, and they will come alongside Satan and rebel against God Almighty, only to be defeated swiftly in their attempt to overthrow Christ and his reign. I think the question, though, that I always have is why? What point does that necessarily make? Why not just do away with Satan at that time? Why, why, why allow Satan to be released after the thousand years to deceive these individuals? And I, I believe that there are three main reasons that God does this. One, it, it will demonstrate the depravity of man's heart. It's going to demonstrate the depravity of man's heart. See, we think now that's why individuals who believe the kingdom of God is a political system, is an economic system. If we just have the right world around us, then, then man isn't really so wicked. 
If, 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 if we have peace and no wars and, and all of the poor are fed and there are no homeless and, and we have the right political system, we have the right economic system, we have the right education system, we have prison reform, we have all of these various things. If we can just implement those things, then what will happen is that man will actually live lives that is pleasing to God, and what God shows us time and time and time again is that it doesn't matter about the outward conditions of the world. It matters about the inward condition of the heart. Some of the worst advice you can ever give somebody is just trust your heart. Don't do that. It is wicked above all things. You and I are capable of extreme wickedness. Now, we say, oh, no, not, not, you know, not, not really. Left unto ourselves, we are capable of doing just about any act of evil you can imagine because our hearts are depraved and wicked. That's why apart from Jesus Christ, we have no hope. It is only in Christ who circumcises the heart of the believer, regenerates us with the Holy Spirit inside of our hearts and gives us a new heart that we are even capable of following after Jesus Christ in any capacity whatsoever. The release of Satan shows the depravity of man's heart. It's going to be perfect. Lions aren't even chewing on zebras anymore. They got straw. They're eating straw. Lions are eating straw. And man's still going to rebel against God. Peace, no wars whatsoever, and man's still going to rebel against God. The depravity and wickedness of man's heart. We see that it demonstrates the depravity of man's heart, and it also demonstrates God's divine, divine foreknowledge. It shows us God's divine foreknowledge, that he knows what's going to happen. Listen, you, you can trust in God. Your, your unknown is God's known. Those things that keep you up at night, God's not worried about that. Oftentimes, we're, we're in the boat like the disciples. The storm is raging, and we're freaking out because Jesus is taking a nap. And Jesus is resting. Jesus is asleep. Now, isn't that a complete posture of surrender? Isn't that a complete posture when you're asleep of trust? Think about that. I remember not too long ago, uh, we woke up and it's like, man, something seems off. And we had gone to sleep, garage door is open, the door into the house from the garage unlocked, and we slept all through that, completely vulnerable in that moment, right? Right? Spiritually, that's what God calls us to. I got you. I got this. You're up fretting, worrying. You're, you're trying to do all of these different types of things. I've got you. I'm watching over you. We see the divine foreknowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He knows everything about your life. You can rest in it. You worried, you're fretting. How are things going to turn out? They're going to turn out the way God wants them to turn out. Amen. How is this going to happen? I don't know. However, God wants it to happen. When are we going to be able to get into our new worship center? I don't know. Whenever God wants us in the new worship center. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. But it's going to be in God's time. When is that wayward son of yours or daughter of yours going to return back to the Lord? I don't know. In God's time. But I know he who began a good work and then will see it through to completion. 
you can trust in God. And we see this divine foreknowledge that he says, listen, the devil will be bound for a thousand years, but he's going to get out and he's going to, he's going to try and get an army of individuals and he's going to try to deceive them into taking back over the throne that rightfully is due to Christ and he's going to fail. Thousand years he's bound. And I think that's the third point, the devil's incurable wickedness. I think that's the third point of what we see in Revelation 20 of why Satan is loose so that we see that even after a thousand years of being, being bound, he is completely wicked and there is absolutely no hope in the devil whatsoever. But yet he has deceived himself and so many others to follow after him. And what I'm, what I'm reminded of is I'm reminded of a movie that I saw years ago called The Village. Anybody see that movie, M. Night Shyamalan? Anybody seen that? I've watched it in a long time, but, but movie. Anybody seen that? Let, let me see who's in, in any of my people in the crowd. Okay, a few of you. So this movie is about a group of individuals it's set in like 19th century America, and they're, 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 they're living in, in this wooded area, kind of pioneers. And this tragedy happens where this, this man is stabbed. There's been a peaceful community up to this point, and, and this man gets stabbed. And this girl, who happens to be blind, goes on a mission to get medical supplies outside of the town that they've been told never to go outside of because there's evil outside of those and that this village is guarded by these monsters. Now, it turns out the monsters are just villagers that dress up and they try to scare the people into staying within the village. And this girl goes, and uh, I'll save you the, the, the whole breakdown. If you want to go and watch the movie, I don't recommend it, but you can. She gets to this very edge of this, this area, and she runs into a park ranger. And he does weird kind of twists to his movies, and so she actually, she's blind, so she doesn't see any of this, but you actually see it as the viewer that they're not in 19th century America, they're in 21st century America. And what has happened as a bunch of families who had dealt with great trauma in their life, loss of loved ones, um, uh, all kinds of just evil that had been done to them or to a family member had come together and they had formed this colony. A man was very rich and he bought this large swath of property. And he set up this perimeter around it, and he hired individuals to watch them so that they wouldn't go outside so they could raise their children up in a place of peace. And I'm reminded of that reality that we try to create for ourselves these little villages. We try to create for ourselves these little pockets of comfort that we believe if we just stay tight enough and close enough within this little pocket, within this little village that we create, sin won't get in and affect us. The problem is you take you with you. Wherever it is you go, you take you with you. And what God is showing us in the loosening of Satan is that there is no amount of uh, uh, life that we can create apart from Jesus Christ in our own strength, and our own power that will allow us to not have sin creep in and affect every aspect of our lives. That's why we need Jesus. 
see, some of you are like me before I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I was, I was an addict, maybe, maybe you not necessarily an addict like, like me, but I was trying to overcome my addictions. I was trying to overcome my struggles. I was trying to overcome my pain in my own flesh, in my own strength, in my own power. And I couldn't do it. I didn't want to be high. There would be times I'd get high, and as soon as I got high, I wanted to be sober. And then when I would sober up, I wanted to be high. And I was in this cycle of doing drugs, wanting to be sober, being sober, doing drugs, doing drugs, wanting to be sober. And it was just constant, and I couldn't do it. I wanted to. I didn't want to keep doing drugs. It wasn't until I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ that those, those, those chains were broken off of my life. And many of us sit in this room today and we think, if I just try hard enough, if I just build a good enough village, if I just put up high enough walls, then the, the, the sin that is outside there won't affect my life. And we all need to understand, listen, it's not about building a higher wall. It's about coming to the foot of the cross. That is the only place that you will find power to free you from your sin. Now, what is the future of sinners what is the future of sinners? Well, verses 11 through 15 show us. We don't often want to talk about this in church. We, we want to just talk about, you know, seven good steps to have, have a great marriage, which I didn't know there were only seven, but okay, you know, uh, sure, we'll go, we'll go with that. You know, a lot of people want life coaches. They don't want the word of God preached. They want life coaches. They want... Uh, individuals that uh, can just say how great things are always going to be. Listen, things aren't always great, amen? This ain't a self-help book. You can't help yourself, or you would have done it already. This is a book about Christ. And you don't get to pick and choose which things make you feel good and which things kind of make you uncomfortable, and we avoid the uncomfortable. That's why we preach books of the Bible. Because you can preach on things that everybody wants to hear all the time. You can do that. Many people do. But our goal is not to build a crowd. Our goal is to build disciples. And to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, you've got to know the whole counsel of God. And the whole counsel of God says that there is a very real place. There is a very real place called hell. And for those that have placed their, their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, we are removed from this. But those that reject our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this is what awaits them. Verses 11 through 15 says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The lake of fire, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Listen, we are to participate in the future kingdom now by faithfully preparing for, praying for, and proclaiming the kingdom to come. 
This is what God asks of each and every one of us as followers of Jesus Christ here on this earth and in this life. We are to participate in the future kingdom, and we are to do so now by faithfully preparing for, praying for, and proclaiming the kingdom to come. And what our last piece of this chapter shows us in verses 7 through 10 is this. You will either be judged by what you have done or by what Christ has done for you. When you stand before God, and all of us will stand before God, you will either be judged by what you have done or by what Christ has done for you. And you must have no sin whatsoever in your life to be welcomed in to the kingdom of God. None of us can walk in on our own merit. And so, therefore, we must place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who imputes his righteousness into our account. Thirdly, you will either be separated for all eternity by the second death or secured for all eternity by Christ's sacrificial death. There is a second death that is to come for all those who have rejected Jesus Christ, and that is eternal separation from God, not a physical death, but a spiritual death where they are separated from God for all of eternity. But there is a first resurrection, as we read in our text, for all those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ And if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are secured for all eternity by his sacrificial death. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me?